0: Ephesians chapter number 2, book of Ephesians chapter number 2, I'd like to read for your hearing verses 1 through 10, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, this epistle to the believers In Ephesus, it's one of the prison epistles, which means that Paul was in prison when he wrote this. And it comes from his heart as all the rest of his writings do. Ephesians chapter number 2. And you hath he quickened. Now, that word quickened means to make alive. He's writing it to those who had been made alive, quickened. At one time, they were dead in trespasses and in sins. Not everybody's dead in trespasses and sins, and not everybody has been quickened by the Holy Spirit. But he talks about their past before the quickening took place. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all, and Paul includes himself in that statement, we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I want you to look at verse number eight, one little short statement. By grace are you saved. It is also repeated back in verse number 5. By grace you are saved. I want to speak on the subject of saving grace. Saving grace. And I encourage you to jot down some references because we're going to be giving a few of those out. And we may be going too fast for you to turn to them. I want you to jot it down. This is a very important message. Matter of fact, all the messages I preach ought to be important or I shouldn't be preaching them. The Word of God. Grace is the permeating theme of salvation. Permeating. It is the outpouring of salvation, grace is that it is the soaking of salvation in a rain like we had this morning. if you're not careful, you get out and you don't have an umbrella, you get soaked. Grace is the soaking agency of salvation. Grace is the heartbeat of the gospel the life-giving power of the gospel. If there is no heartbeat, there is no gospel. And if you do not have a heartbeat today, you're not alive, you're dead. Grace is the good pleasure of our sovereign God. So why does God do what he does? Because he likes it that way. And he can do so much better than any of us or all of us put together could ever accomplish. Grace is the only hope for fallen man, not religion, not denominationalism, not having religious tendencies. Grace is the only hope for fallen man. And it is the only way sinners are accepted in the beloved, by grace. All Old Testament saints were saved by grace alone. Whether it be Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and all the rest... Who were saved in the Old Testament were saved by the grace of God. All New Testament saints were saved by grace alone. Whether it be Peter, James, John, Paul, the apostles, or anyone else who was converted, include Zacchaeus there, they were all saved by grace. All who are saved today are saved by grace alone. Not grace plus anything else. But only by the grace of God. And all who will ever be saved will be by grace alone. John Newton was addicted to grace Mr. Newton could not get enough (laughs) of the grace of God. He wrote amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It tells you two things, what he thought of himself and what he thought of the Lord that saved him. Julia Johnston was given to grace She wrote, Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Philip Bliss was conquered by grace. He wrote, Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall. Grace hath redeemed us once for all. William Newell was awestruck by grace. Oh, he wrote these words, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Every single blood-bought child of God in glory will be there because of the grace of God. The grace of God. Let's look first of all at the definition of grace, defining grace. It is one of the attributes of God. The attributes of God are many, which include love, mercy, wrath, faithfulness, truth. God is wisdom, sovereignty, Eternality, holiness, omnipresence, and grace, and so many other added attributes. These are not appendages of God. They are attributes of God. It is not that God has a long arm of love, but that arm is wearing shorter and shorter and shorter and does not exist today as it did at other times in the Bible. It's not an appendage of God, something that just grows on God. It is God. Attributes, that's who God is. That's what God is all about. God cannot be separated from his attributes. Attributes. If you could do that, he would no longer be God. Defining grace—it's one of the attributes of God. Not only that, it comes from the Greek word charis, charis. It means the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the favor of God. Human definitions have been given. I shared part of this with you about three weeks ago. We need to just go back and pick up on it. You have the acrostic definition. By the acrostic definition, you do not spell grace horizontally. You spell it vertically. Vertically. That is vert- It starts with G-R-A-C-E. And some have used that to say that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Then there is the elementary definition. The unmerited favor of God toward man. Oscar Mink preached in Texarkana, Texas for many, many years. And he said about grace... Grace is God doing everything for for good-for-nothing man. Let that one sink in a moment. My chief definition, Alexander McLaren. He said grace means the unconditional, undeserved, spontaneous, eternal, stooping, and pardoning love of God. Thomas Goodwin, president of Magdalen College in Oxford in 1650, made this statement about grace. Grace is a distinct thing from mercy. Grace is the same thing for substance with love and mercy. In other words, he's saying that grace is the substance of love. Grace is the substance of mercy. Yet it holds forth something more eminently than both. Grace denotes not simply love, but the love of a sovereign. A sovereign is one who does exactly what he wants to, when he wants to, how he wants to, and whether we like it or not, he's sovereign in that decision. One may do what he will that may wholly choose whether he will love or not. A sovereign is one that will do what he wants to and he'll choose whether he wants to love or not. That is to exhibit love as we know saving love is. There may be love between equals like husbands love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Love may be an inferior loving a superior. But love in a superior is so superior as he may do what he will. In such a one, love may be called grace. Therefore, grace is attributed to princes, They are said to be gracious to their subjects. Whereas subjects cannot be gracious to their princes. Now God, who is an infinite sovereign, who could have and might have chosen whether ever he would love us or not. If he is God, he can make that choice. He might have chosen whether ever He would love us or not. For Him to love us, that's grace. That's grace. When God doth choose and predestinate out of the motion of His own will, this is freeness. God's not forced into doing anything. When He does this, it's freeness and it makes. It grace. Grace signifies the sovereignty of God's will, that He may love whom He will and do what He will merely as a sovereign. Heard a man on radio this morning make this statement. I've got some good news for you." He said, "God just loves everybody. God just loves everybody. I didn't know how to get in touch with him. I would like to have interrupted his message and say, question, how much did he love all of those millions that were destroyed in Noah's flood? How much did he love the sodomites whom he destroyed with fire from heaven? If God loves everybody then God loves the devil because the devil is somebody free grace is the sole cause of all the parts and benefits of salvation no such thing as salvation apart from grace by grace are you saved the scripture speaks in Romans 11 verse 6 Now, if it's by grace, then it is no more of works. Now, this isn't Dan Cozart. This this is the Word of God here, speaking. If it's by grace, if salvation's by grace, it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more of grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. No wonder Paul was so clear in Ephesians 2, 8, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift. It is the favor of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So much for the definition of grace. Let's take a few moments, deal with the person of grace. Where does grace, from whence, does grace originate? Where does it come from? The person of grace. John chapter 1 verse number 14 describes Jesus Christ as being full of grace and truth. The Bible says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It is not that our Savior has a little bit of uh, truth and a little bit of grace. He's full of it. Full, filled, completely. Play a rule. He's full of grace and truth. And in John 1, 17, the Bible talks about Jesus Christ bringing it down. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Listen again to this. Jesus Christ is the vehicle of grace, even as Moses was the vehicle of the law. Now, the only way in the world the people could get the law was that they had to have somebody to bring the law down to them. They could not so much as touch the mountain. If they touched the mountain, God would have killed them all. And so Moses becomes the vehicle to bring the law down. And if Moses doesn't bring the law down, they'll never have the law. Never. Jesus Christ is the vehicle of grace. He is the one that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and Christ Jesus brought salvation down to man. Man does not elevate himself to get up to where salvation is. Christ is the vehicle of grace. He's the originator, if I might use that terminology. We cannot climb into heaven for grace. He's got to bring it down. He's got to bring it down. In 1 Peter 5, 10, but the God of all grace, and aren't you glad for that word, all grace, all grace. He's the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. In 1 Timothy 1-2, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Where does it come from? Grace comes from Jesus Christ our Lord. Incidentally, Paul used that salutation in every one of his epistles He begins it by saying, Grace, mercy, peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And Revelation chapter 22, verse 21 The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So much for the definition of grace. So much for the person of grace, where it comes from. It comes from the Lord. He's the divine vehicle that brings it down. Let's look at the doctrines of grace. The teachings of grace. Those doctrines that deal with how the Lord saves sinners. It will always be of God's grace. Now you put it down. I think Christians ought to belong to the church. But my dear friends, belonging to the church is not where God's grace is to be found. It's to be found in he who founded the church on himself, the rock. The doctrines of grace. Here we go. There is a probing grace. There is an aspect of God's grace that has a probing grace nature to it it deals with the subject of total depravity if man were not a sinner there would be no need for a savior and a man who does not recognize himself as a sinner can never be saved how does he come about to recognize he's a sinner because God does some probing in that grace. If there's any aspect of grace that's painful, it's the probing, probing nature of God's grace. The Lord visited Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But when they had eaten the forbidden fruit, God started on this probing nature. Notice in Genesis 3 verse 8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the garden, in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God and amongst the trees of the garden. It seems obvious that the Lord visited Adam and Eve many, many times while in the garden of Eden. But this time he doesn't come and knock on the door and Adam opens the door and says, Good morning, Lord. Come right in. It's good to see you. Notice the Lord starts probing. The Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where are you? Where are you? Adam said unto him, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid. I was naked. I hid myself. The Lord gives him some more questions. He said, "Who told you you was naked? Huh? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat?" That's the last thing Adam wanted to talk about. But God, in His skill, took grace and began to probe. Because a man must see that he is a sinner before he can ever be saved. And it deals with our total depravity. Probing grace is the revealing, exposing grace of God that makes us aware of our sinful condition. The Holy Spirit does this in our salvation does he not in the gospel of John chapter number 16 verses 7 and 8 let me read it for you nevertheless I tell you the truth it is expedient for you that I go away if I go not away the comforter will not come unto you but if I depart I'll send him unto you and when he is come he will Probe He will reprove The world of sin Of righteousness and judgment Making man Realize His awful condition Because of sin in his life Revealing to himself A sinner Now if you are out Working in your garden Or in and on Your lawn And somehow you get a thorn embedded in the flesh of your hand and you go to the doctor and normally he would have a pair of tweezers that he could just pull the thorn out but it is so deeply embedded that he's going to have to do some probing and characteristic of many doctors they always preface that by saying now this might hurt a little No, it's going to hurt a whole lot. We don't like probing, but you'll never come to know the Lord without the probing grace of God. Do you see that? That's why people can go to church their entire life and when they die, go straight to hell because they've never been probed by the grace of God. And they realize they need a savior. The Lord Jesus put it this way. He says it's the sick that need the physician, not the whole. And as long as a man feels comfortable in who he is and how he lives and what he wants and the lifestyle, he said as long as he's comfortable with that, he'll never be saved. God got to do some probing. And he does it in grace. In grace. In grace. There is probing grace. Matthew 15:18 through20. Those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. They defile the man, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts and murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. these are the things that defile a man. Even the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! (laughs) You are like whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Have you ever wondered who ever taught Simon Peter how to fish? In Luke chapter 5 verse number 8 the Lord Jesus approached Peter on a boat and he said now Peter you launch out into the deep you're in shallow water now You, you launch out into the deep and you let down your nets and you'll have a draft of fish. And probably Simon Peter must have thought who does this guy think he is? I've been fishing all my life. I know where the fish are. But the Lord said, let down your nets. And Peter said, well, we fished all night and hadn't caught anything, but we'll just go ahead anyway. And he let down his nets. They had so many net, so many fish that the, the boat began to sink. He taught Simon Peter how to fish to which Peter replied these final words, Depart from me, O God, for I am a sinful man. You've got to come to that place if you're ever saved. You've got to come to that place if you're ever saved. And it's not pleasant to think about. It's painful. Not only is there probing grace... That God uses in our salvation, there is picking grace. Another word for picking is choosing. Huh? Selecting. Biblical word for that is election. Most people turn purple and get sick over it. <coughs> But either way you look at it, it's picking grace. The Lord Jesus said, You've not chosen me, but I have chosen you. I grew up, first 20 years of my life, in Roxborough, North Carolina, and I was born on High Street. My dad had planted fruit trees all out in the back of our house. We had all kinds of fruit trees back there, apple trees peach trees, we had grapevines. we had pear trees, we had plum. I mean, any time you wanted to, you could go back out there and pick some fruit. Now, whenever I would go out there to pick apples, I'd pick some of them, but I wouldn't pick them all. Now, don't get sick yet. There's plenty of room for this. I'd pick peaches, but I wouldn't do all of them. I'd leave the rest. In election, God picked out sinners to be saved and he left the rest. The difference being, when I picked the fruit, I picked the best. But when God picked out the fruit for salvation, he picked out the worst. He did not pick it all, however, just some, and left the rest. You say, well now, what does that tell you about God? It tells you that he is absolutely sovereign. And can do anything he wants to do, anytime he wants to do, any, with anybody he wants to do. He'll always be right in what he does. Sovereign of God. Well, I just believe I've got a part. You have. Your parts run as you far as you can from God. Get away from him. His part is to pursue you like a hound dog. To get one of his own. And he does that. Ephesians one four, according as he hath chosen us in him. When did he do this? Before the foundation of the world. Now I tell you what that means. It took a long time of study for me to come to the correct meaning and interpretation of that. It means this according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Second Thessalonians two thirteen, God hath from the beginning Chosen you to salvation. John 15, 16, You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. <clears throat> there is a probing grace. There is a picking grace. There is a purchasing grace. What does that mean? There must be an atonement involved in our salvation. Some way, somehow or another, our sins have to be atoned for and have to be forgiven us and it was done through the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He died for the sins of his people. He bought us out of slavery in Ephesians 1, 7 and 14 in whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace the redemption of the purchased possession of, under the praise of his glory. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish without spot Hebrews 9 12 neither by the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us he did not make it possible for us to be saved he actually saved us Do you see that? Not only then is there purchasing grace, but there's pulling grace. There is irresistible grace. John chapter 6, verse number 44, No man can come to me. Again, that's very difficult to understand, isn't it? No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him. That is a very strong word in the Greek. He must be drawn. Now, I don't want to throw you a curved ball. I want to give you something. To think about it. comes from the Greek word helko, meaning to drag it is not so much that God drags sinners and they're never willing to come to Christ. That's not what it's talking about. It means that God has to have drawing power to draw us from this world, to draw us from our sins, and to draw us from our wayward living, and to draw us from our self-satisfaction. And it draws us unto Him. In Jeremiah 31.3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Song of Solomon 1.4 Draw me. It starts off with that. Draw me, we will run after thee. We'll run after you, Lord, if you'll draw us. But unless he draws, you're not going to run after him. The king hath brought me into his chambers. Mm. How did I get into the chambers? How did I get into the presence? The king brought me. Mephibosheth asked him. When he approached King David, he said, I'm a dead dog. And David said, no, sir. You may have been a dead dog, but you're going to be just like one of my sons, and you'll sit at my table every time I sit at it please indulge me. Psalm 40 verse 2. He brought me up out of the horrible pit and out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He brought me up. I do not come to him. He brings me to him. He draws me to him. then there is pushing grace. Hmm. That's perseverance. People evidence the fact that they've been saved by their perseverance. They evidence that fact. God's people may get knocked down, but they get up. The Lord is always there pushing us ahead into battle. Whether we feel like it or not, he thrusts us forth. When we fall, we get up again and again and again. And I've made this statement from this pulpit. You've heard it time and time again. As long as I'm here, you're going to hear it some more. I have spent my entire Christian experience getting up again. Getting up again. Have you failed since the Lord saved you? Sure you have. If we say we've not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It is not so much a matter that I accepted or went the way of a temptation and I'm sorry for it, but it means I get up. But I don't do that on my own power. It's the power of the Lord in grace that pushes us, pushes us forward. Now this morning where I live in Tyler at five o'clock AM the lightning began. Exactly seventeen minutes later the rain began and the thunder began. And I tell you what, dear friends, at five o'clock in the morning, I don't know I don't know about you, but I I just I do love my bed. Huh? And you know what? The Lord began to push me and said, this is the Lord's day. Get out of the bed, son. You're going to church. That's why I'm here today. Did you get a little shove this morning? Or did you just think a little bit? Wouldn't it be nice if this were Monday and I didn't have to go to work? Now, don't lie. Be honest. Aren't you grateful that when God saved you, He put within you that pushing, 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 pushing. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, it's called constraining. The love of Christ constraineth us. Constraineth means to compel, to control, to hedge in, to drive ahead, to push forth. No wonder Paul spoke to the church at Philippi in chapter 2 verses 12 through 13 and said work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And finally there is perfecting grace that is our glorification. Our glorification Newton put it this way, grace hath brought us safe thus far and grace will lead us home. In Colossians 1:21 through 22, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Unblameable in his sight. Can you imagine? No, you can't. I can't. I've never met anybody who could imagine the height and the depth of a statement like that, that one day we will stand before God unblameable. No blame. Blame. Jude 24, now unto him that's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. Give me about five minutes and I'll try and get you out by 12. All right. The demonstration of grace. The demonstration of grace. Now, Roth Bonner used to say, you really, it's good. If you want to tell somebody the Lord has saved you, that's, that's a good thing. If you feel in your heart you've trusted Christ and he's given you assurance in your soul and according to the word of God, you believe he has saved you. It, it, there's nothing wrong with telling somebody about it. But he added this statement to it. He said, you don't have to tell anybody because it'll get out on you every time. If God ever saves you, somebody's going to know a difference whether you open your mouth or not. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't testify and witness. I'm just simply saying he makes such a difference in our lives that somebody says we're either been saved by the grace of God or we're crazy. It's not the Dan Cozart I knew. When I came into the doctrines of grace, I was accused. Well, I, I won't go into it. Oh my, my, goodness. One particular person said that it's a shame that my mental faculties had begun to get so weak. I never thought he'd stoop that low. He just, he's lost it all. No, I gained it. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Incidentally, that word "chief" is protos. Protos. It means first in rank or time. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first, protos, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering. For a pattern to them which hereafter should believe on him to life everlasting. Protos, first in rank or time. Paul called himself the number one criminal. Saul, Paul hated Jesus Christ, he hated the churches of Jesus Christ. He was a criminal. And yet, God bestowed saving grace on him. He interrupted Paul's life and plans and saved him by his grace. Only God's grace can save the number one sinner. And if God could save the number one sinner, don't you think he could save you? That when Christ died for sinners, and the scripture is very plain there, when Christ died for sinners, he will in no wise turn away those that come unto him by faith, and they come because of grace, God's blessed grace. The sinner's only hope is in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Salvation does not exist outside of him. Trust him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Shall we stand for prayer?